Hey, everyone. I'm so excited because I have a little bit of comic relief for you today. I've got on the show Chicago-based stand-up comedian Aaron Putnam. In Aaron's stand-up comedy routine, he talks about his life, his marriage, and his struggles with addiction in the past and talks about the process of getting sober. He's done some amazing work for the organization called Stand Up in Recovery. He has a podcast along with his wife about their marriage, about sex, yoga, health, fitness, and so many other things. He is hilarious and no topic is off the table with Aaron. So sit back and relax, and I hope this episode gives you some much-needed comic relief while talking about some serious issues as well. It's all up next in this episode of Manthropology. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Manthropology. Come for the laughs. Stay for the emotional trauma unpacking. Yo, what up, Kelly? All right. Well, welcome to the show, stand-up comedian Aaron Putnam. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thank you for coming on. I recently saw one of your sets in Iowa here, but you're based out of Chicago. Is that right? I'm based out of Chicago, and I spend about a week, a month in uh, New York, where I was before. I was listening to the show very intently, and like a, a switch flipped while I was listening. I was like, I have got to have him on my podcast. Yeah. And when you told me all about the stuff you were doing, I was like, that sounds so interesting because it's out of the box too. You know, like everything is so, I'm on so many comedy podcasts and it's like, okay, a bunch of dudes sitting around talking about the shit they do every weekend. So this is a refreshing kind of take on something, you know? Well, yeah, I love the idea of men talking about shit they did on the weekend, but I also, I mean, you've been through some shit in your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's, I think that's why you end up, you know, you, you, you straighten yourself out a little bit and then you, uh, at the end of the tunnel, you see, uh, you should probably be a comedian. <laughs> it's like, it's really, it's just like, I don't know why it's like, uh, there's so many of us that seem to have been through a lot of shit, but it's not necessary to like live a reckless life, but being around the block helps a little bit as far as, you know, having something to say, you know what I mean? I think so too. I know a lot of stand-up comedians. I have a couple of friends who are in comedy. One of them was a jewel thief and he spent a lot of time in prison. Wow. Well, there's there's people, I mean, like I have some buddies in New York and they're totally open about it as well. I mean, they did federal time. Like these city kids are getting into things like comedy and stuff. So there's a whole group of comics in New York that have actually been in prison. They help they they counsel kids about not going to prison now, but like the whole thing, it's like, it's really opened up and all different stuff and very interesting material for sure. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your life, you know, your early years. Tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, born in uh, Lansing, Michigan. Really? Yeah. Left immediately after high school, went to New York and I was uh, skateboarding, like sponsored amateur skateboarder. So I was touring and doing all that stuff and like, you know, just kind of just like I'm doing now, like, I mean really happy that I was found something I could maybe make money at that I liked doing. So I did that. And then I jumped into a theater program through NYU um, called Atlantic Theater Company. So I was doing a bunch of theater and like voiceovers and stuff like that. And just it felt, it, you know, stand up ended up happening because many reasons. One, scripts are horrible. When you start off, they give you dog shit. I mean, if you can get through that and like you deserve, you know, some good writing. So it's like acting was just I, the whole business is like wild. I'm still kind of in it, but um. The acting business and stuff? Well, it's like, well, now that I'm working, now it's like my manager is like, hey, do you want to go out for an audition for TV thing? It's like, because that's what they're just always trying to make more money off you. You know what I mean? I would be so happy just to tell jokes and if I could and make a good living and not do anything else. 
maybe a podcast on the side, but it's like, you know, they're always trying to get more out of you. Like, what else are you good at? Yeah. So that was, um, I spent all of my life in New York until I moved to Chicago in 2016 after when, you know, when I graduated high school. What year? When did I graduate high school? Yeah. (laughs) 97. 97. Okay. Went to school for two years after uh, I did some uh, courses to get the prerequisites or whatever. But then it was just all acting and it was great. And then I was doing it. But then like, as you're trying to actually work, I was like, do I want to do this? Like these scripts? I mean, like it just, you know, and then like getting called back for stuff three times and not getting it. I'm like, I just want to be like, what was wrong the third time? You wanted me back. Like, what exactly was the decision? Uh, the guy had a red shirt on. So I don't know. You know <laughs> it frustrated me because I couldn't control it. Stand up is brutal as far as, I mean, it really is a hard thing to come up in, but it's um, at least you can get on stage and get better and feel like you're doing it. Because when I was acting, you wait around for auditions and you couldn't be like rustier as you go. You know I mean? It's like you're supposed to sit in your room and talk to yourself. I mean, I'm not one of those actor that's like real nerd actor stuff, like, you know, really self you know, absorbed. Like, it's just like, I'm really into myself. Like, I want to look at myself in the mirror, talk, you know. Yeah. So I was like, you know, skateboarder comic is more my thing, you know. Yeah. So you got into comedy. How does that work? Did you start like doing open mics or what did you do? So I didn't start in New York, even though I, I thought about it because I was kind of dabbling. Like when I did like one open mic, there was bringer shows back in the day. And I don't recommend them to new comics. What's a bringer show? It, just like what it sounds like, bring uh, at least eight people that pay. And so basically you have an audience of 200 people filled with six of each person that's on the show. So it's like it's like doing comedy at a family reunion where everyone's like, good job. Oh, he's horrible. You know what I mean? It's like it's just, I, I don't recommend it because everybody stinks when they start and you might as well just go into obscurity and just hit the mics and don't tell anyone you're doing it. That's what I think. Ah, yeah. I wish I wouldn't have invited people for not one year, like three years. I mean, even though I, you know, I was in a, I was delusional about it, but you know, if I would have kept everyone else out of it, they would have been more apt to come back to show. It took a while after I started invited, tried to get everyone to come to those bringers. Like I did like two of them. People were pretty gun shy after that for a while. <laughs> Cause you know, how do you tell like, you know, Oh, you're horrible. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a lot harder than people think. I know it is. I have been to tons of like open mics with friends who are just starting out and stuff. And it is, well, it's all comedians in the audience kind of at yeah. those things. Which is, you know, it's almost you're better off just like really writing a lot. And if you're going to do the mics, you just go in. Like what it is, this is this is what's the mind fuck about stand-up. It's like, you, th- you know you're funny like in, around your friends or whatever. So you just think immediately you're going to walk on stage and be yourself. But what happens on the stairs up to that stage and we get up there, you slowly become a stranger to yourself because your voice separates because your ego is involved and you're nervous. And so all these things. So it's like people just think it's going to go. And like you just you eat shit a lot when you start. You have to. So you get better. Yeah. Tell me like about the worst time you ate shit on stage or one of the first times. How did you feel? Did you ever cry? (laughs) No, no. I used to get mad, which is my my. My ex-girlfriend at the time hated that. She was just be like, you know, everyone can, because like I have, my tone is either, even if it's good, if I'm in a good mood, it's a little, a little edgier. So people, so if I'm up, if I'm on stage and I'm mad, even if I'm just kind of kidding, like it really comes through. Like people are like, is this dude upset? So I would get like frustrated and it would come out kind of, kind of nasty. And that's never good because then you're really turning people on you. But um, it's been, a there's different kinds of bombs. There's like the inexperienced, 
you know, two years in trying to figure it out, taking chances, bomb. And those hurt a lot because you just, you're too new to know that like, you got to stick it out. Like it's like testing you, like walk away. It's hard or whatever. And then, um, and I used to think those were the worst bombs, but my worst bomb ever was probably a year ago. Like I just was having a great weekend as a fifth show in and the crowd was just a little different and I was a little off and I went in and I dug a hole that I could not get out of. I mean, cause I'm experienced enough. Like I definitely like brought it out, went back in. It was just like, I, but I could not get them back. And it's like, you know, that's when you're, you know, when you're nine years in, like I am, it's kind of like you, you're like, wow, this is still happening. So, I mean, and if you ask any of the big, big comics too, I mean, people bomb all the time. Cause if you're trying stuff, you're, but, but different kinds of bombs. When you're experienced, the bomb is more like, I know I'm bombing. I'll make fun of myself, try to find where I'm going, try to get him back or keep trying the joke. But then, you know, when that doesn't happen, just when it's quiet, like you can hear everything. You can hear people going, this is horrible, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Is there like a formula that you learn for like, okay, if I'm bombing, here are the steps I take next to get the audience back? I mean, it's it's so funny because it's like, sure, like I could sit here and like say like what has worked for me. But the, the problem is, is, audiences are never the same one two you might not realize what you did was so simple like that's why we record our sets and stuff you listen back you go oh i bombed because i said that different it's like that it can be that like that small of a thing where it's like oh i said it i missed a word even that was the key word to the the laugh you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean like i said the only way to really deal with a bomb and this is why younger comics i if they ask me i don't really i don't walk around giving people notes but uh Half the battle is knowing that you're bombing. And that means that you are actually in the room. You're reading the room. Like, you know, when I did that show in a comedy bar, you know, 27 people in the audience. So that's when it really kicks in where I had to let everybody in and really take it moment to moment and be really present. So some people, when they're newer, they're bombing, but they're literally not even in the room mentally. Right. So it's like they know something's going wrong, but they're like, just like, I mean, because they just don't know. Yeah. That show was tough because it was, I mean, who would put a comedy club right under a bowling alley? Am I right? You know, it's just. <sighs> it was loud. I bet it was distracting. I mean, the thing is, is I got, I mean, I can deal with it or whatever, but it does frustrate me. But the problem with these clubs, it's like, you know, they don't care. <laughs> a lot of them, you know, but it, you know what it would take? It would take the people that go to the shows, you know, like an email that was like, um, one, I didn't even know you guys were open anymore. You have horrible like advertising on the building and then like the bowling, like whatever. And then that's what changes it for people. But, you know, comics are like, oh, you, you know, they'll just, they'll just not work with you. So I'm just like, oh, it was great. Thanks. But I was shitting on a little bit. But the thing with that show that also was kind of the guys were great. But when I don't bring someone with me, then I'm at the, I'm at the mercy of like if I if they go, do you mind if I book the the acts, the opening acts or whatever, like usually it should just be a host and one person. Mm -hmm. And I just always know that it's going to be an extra person. So three, you know what I mean? Like you mm -hmm. saw, and I don't know any of them and they were all horrible. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I mean, in a way, I mean, in a way they were so new that they were all basically like not for nothing, but it's like not horrible. I mean, like that's mean. These new comics, they don't know the rules and they don't care about the rules because there's old school etiquette to like, one, if you're not, if you're the host, you never run the light. That guy did 16 minutes instead of 10. The whole point of having people open for you is so they're at least comfortable by the time you get up there. I would have had better luck just going up there 
right from the beginning and doing an hour and a half because it's like I had to reset the room anyways. But long story short, it's just, you know, the bowling thing was the least of my words because, you know, when they don't promote the shows and Brooks, my friend was there in between like Thursday and Sunday and I was Friday, Saturday, he's from the area. So if there was anyone going out that weekend, it was going to be to see him for multiple reasons. He was on SNL. So anyways, it was bad, uh, bad casting by the club to do that together. I was really annoyed about how neglectful they were with everything. It's just like, come on, man. I won't be back for a while just because it's like, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, the, oh, not the guy that, that works the shifts, the manager that was there. He's great. But his boss, the owner is like, you know, they're, you're getting into like, she knows what's going on, but she's probably making good money, not spending good money on promo and shows, paying us what more that we deserve. You know what I mean? All the stuff. I think it's greed related to be honest, but you know, I don't say much, like I'll talk to you about it, but like here and it's, I'll put it out there, but I don't walk, I don't tell other comics like it's horrible. Don't do it. Cause it's like, it's a, you point a finger three, come back, especially in this business. Cause you know, comedy clubs are just, you need, they're essential, but they're also greedy. All comics would rather just rent rooms, have a lawyer and no agent, everything. And just DIY, like, you know, the way things are these days, you know, we're all doing stuff on our own podcast. Oh, you want to do one? Get the app, do the thing. Boom. Done. I don't need you. Well, I used to work in true crime and I used to book live shows for other podcasters, all DIY. Yeah, yeah. True crime. That's my wife. She's a, a huge fan. What is with women in true crime? You know? No, actually, what's up with her and other women loving to listen to it? But then if I take the garbage out in the hallway in a condominium in a building with a doorman and I come back and the door's locked because she's scared <laughs> to lose her life all the time. I don't know why she's watching all that stuff that'll give you nightmares. It's weird how obsessed we are with it. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a couple months ago, I, I we we watch Already Gone a lot. Listen to that. The one Nina Instead from Michigan. I know Nina. She's one of my people. Yes. Well, listen, my wife and I both grew up in Lansing, Michigan. And I'm telling you, three of the, the cases she did back in the day, we knew those kids. Like Rose Lake and all that. Wow. The amount of abductions in Michigan. We remember that shit from growing up as kids. And we love her. But yeah, I caught myself. I go, uh, it's almost like. I was upset that more people hadn't been murdered, so there was more content. I mean, that's messed up, man. That's not what I was saying. Like, why am there's no there's not a new episode? It's like maybe no one got killed last week. <laughs> like, whatever. But it's weird. It is, and it, true crime last couple of years is like blowing up. But Nina yeah. doesn't she have like a velvety, wonderful voice? It's great. A couple things that's so amazing about her. One, I, we love it because you know when it's from where you're born, you're like, oh, this is kind of crazy. She's very thorough. She doesn't make it about her. And I dig it that there's not those shit narrations that some of them do. Like when those two guys have that one, but they're like acting it out or whatever. Or they're always comment. You know, the, the guys that just got in trouble. What's that big podcast? Uh, Turn to the left. But oh, last podcast on the left. Aren't they beefing a little bit or something happened with those guys? Because you can tell that they're comedians too or whatever, but mm-hmm. they kind of hijack it. I, I don't like the reenactments with weird, like someone act, an actor acting out the victim or whatever. Like I'd rather just have Nina's narrating this whole thing, talk in little interviews with the cops or whatever. Yeah. She's, oh, she's great. She is great. You know, it's crazy. Cause I don't even know if my mother-in-law really wants to dig it up anyways, but really tragic thing happened to my wife's brother uh, mm-hmm. about he he's, they haven't even found, they keep finding pieces of him like over the years when they have to come back to his, her mother my mother-in-law and go oh we found your son's elbow or something but anyways long story short that was a michigan unsolved cold case murder because he was a little bit involved in some marijuana stuff but like 
what we think happened. You know, there were some Aryans involved and something else. But long story short, it's by, by no one snitching it out, you know, 18 years later, like we feel like it's pretty internal with the people that are involved. But like, you know, it would be very, very overstepping to get someone like Nina to look into it because it's like because my mother-in-law probably would just doesn't want to. It's not going to bring her kid back. But I, I would really love to know what happened with all that. I think you want closure after not knowing. I mean, it's weird because I do, but like, you know, it's not even my family. My wife and her, her whole family are more like, you know, my wife's like a huge, I'm in her yoga studio right now, actually. Um, it's like, you know, she, she thinks about things like, it's not going to bring my brother back. It's not the, the mantra I want to live, like to be like, oh, that's going to be, but you know what I mean? Because it yeah. really doesn't matter, I guess. I'm kind of nosy, I guess. That's what I want to know. I come from a family that's like, let's let's uh, put all our laundry out for everybody to see. And they're more like the Kennedys. But uh, it was very sad. And I bet she could get to the bottom of it. I bet she could, too. I'll talk to her about it. Yeah, tell her Aaron said hello. No, we were a big fan, though. Well, speaking of marijuana and dirty laundry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You talk a lot about your past in your comedy routine. Yeah. You're sober now, right? I've been sober for the whole time I've been doing Sam, so eight years. And it's just like, I loved it too much. I mean, I, the, everything was delicious. But, you know, as you get older, you realize that that's, it's all trauma based instead of like, you know what I mean? So drinking was not the answer. But I mean, like I say on stage, and it gets kind of a chuckle, but it's more like I'm telling people, like, if you have a manageable kind of thing that takes the edge off once in a while, like, you know, oh, I'm going to eat an edible or have a couple drinks, but I'm a well-adjusted person that's not going to drink in the morning because, of, you know, like me or whatever. It's like, I recommend it because the world is always going to be intense. And like every day, it's like, is today the day that, you know, it's going to be too much for me or what? You know what I mean? So it's like, I recommend, you know, just managing that kind of stuff. But I was drinking for mental like relief. So it's like, that's, but it wasn't like I was at war with my brain all the time, but like, it was just more like I wanted to check out. So it's like, what's the easiest way to check out? Be drunk. You know, New York does that to you too, because there's a lot of other people doing it. So yeah, I just got really hardcore into it. And uh, it became a allergy, which is the worst part about drugs and alcohol is even if you want to stop mentally, like there's a, a week of like physical dependency on shit that like keeps a lot of people out too. Like when you have a hangover, and you don't want to do anything. Imagine me having a hangover for like four years <laughs> where you're like, I can't speak until I have a drink and that's where it can go. You know what I mean? So I like to talk about that because it's important to me. I like to make it funny and I like people to kind of look at it and like not feel sorry for me. Like I'm, I'm telling it on stage, not because I want a Hallmark card. I want to laugh, you know, <laughs> but it's like, you know what I mean? So that's part of the thing, but you know, not everybody's into it, you know? Well, do you think comedy is one of the best ways to get through the, like the shit in life? It can be. It's like, I want people to see the other side of it where it's a couple things. One, you don't have to be a hot mess to have good material. If you haven't been around the block once, it's more about, obviously, everyone, repetition. That'll make you better. But if you're writing from more of like a, like not from your personal experience, it's like make sure your joke writing is really tight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's just, uh, I mean, comedy is just tough. It it's definitely helps. So, I mean, saying anything out loud helps. Like right now, this helps. You know, just... It reassures like what I'm doing or what, you know what I'm saying? Comedians, yeah, they need to be a little messed up or just a little weird. Even like, yeah, there's all these pretty people doing comedy now, which is great. But it's like, even the prettiest girl and guy that I know that are doing stand that are like model looking people for like the quintessence, like this is like what everyone thinks is pretty, whatever. 
because they're comedians, if you really get up close to them a little bit, they're still a little bit off, you know, because it's like even like the hottest comedian, even Matt Wright, if you want to say that, that's like a mainstream guy. But it's like if you look at the dude up close and then, you know, he got his teeth redone and all that, he's kind of goofy looking. It's not like he's beautiful, like, uh, you know, like uh, Ryan Gosling cute, you know what I mean, or whatever. And like the girls are always a little goofy, even if like Whitney Cummings, I think, is absolutely beautiful. But when you're around, you're like. Oh, you're you're actually a little weirdo like me, comedian, because you have to be to go up there and eat shit for two years, three years, try to figure out this industry. You know, you got to be a little kind of the misfit. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. And now back to the show. For me. I'm a podcaster. I don't have time to listen to podcasts. I don't even want to listen to podcasts when I'm not working on podcasts. Do you still watch comedy or do you have a favorite? The thing is, is I love certain comedians so much, especially some that are like not here anymore. But it's like I tend not to watch a lot of stand up because it's it kind of seeps into your it seeps into your your cadence. Sometimes I don't want to watch someone kill. And then you know, all of a sudden, because I am one thing as being what I was good at as an actor is immediately I would kind of get kind of into whatever that was like I could kind of chameleon be a chameleon with this stuff you know kind of more morph into stuff or whatever. So I don't want to accidentally, you know, my nightmare is for someone I respect to go, hey, you're doing a little me tonight, or like yeah, it's not a lot like someone I know. Like another thing that a lot of new comics do. I mean, yeah. Hundreds of people that sound like Louis C.K., the amount of women that try to be Amy Schumer. It's like we can only have one person talking about their pussy all day. You know what I mean, it's like <laughs> not, if, if you're an open micer, like it's not going to be as fun to watch. You know, it's, she's got it figured out. So, but then it's like, you know, all the Matt Rifes that are going to come about all of a sudden. There's probably a lot of dudes like, I'm hot, I'll do comedy, you know, and then they'll quit because it's hard. It is hard. Tell me about Stand Up in Recovery. What is this organization I know you've worked with? Yeah, what happened is um, when I first, Kind of when I first got started, really, is like 16, right, right around there. But um, I did, I'm sober. I was speaking at a meeting, and then someone walked up to me and said, Hey, do you want to maybe teach like a class, like just an hour long, very low level fundamental of stand up comedy, like how to do three minutes or whatever, um, for to be part of like, lack of a better term, like elective uh, courses in the rehabs? Cause they have all their clinical stuff that like, they just like, you know, basically fraud the insurance companies for, you know, urine tests and like little, you know, whatever the class, the, 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 the clinical classes. Mine would be because I'm not a psychiatrist or a counselor, so I can't take notes and be like, this is what I think of their brain. So they mine was more of like, this is a, an hour to let your hair down. You could do crafts or go to the stand up thing. So that's how it started. And then I was doing the class. People loved it. It got bigger. I started doing other treatment centers. And then I started doing bigger shows with them. So they were hiring me. Do you want to do a convention or do this and that? So I said, hey, I better name this Stand Up and Recovery. And really the thing, what it's based in is more like the comedians I work, bring with me or what I do. I don't talk about recovery the whole time, like inside baseball. It's more showing addicts, you know, there is life after drugs and like being happy, joyous and free is about, you know, finding what was bothering you enough to like, you know, shoot heroin or something. You clearly have something on your mind that you need to get off and stand up's a great way. So that was my one thing was teaching them was it's got to be, they had to draw from something real. So that's how it started. And then it's kind of morphed into like, I mean, I don't get as much as I used to because they go through 
phases of wanting to spend money on that stuff because they're trying to be billionaires every day. But, um, you know what I mean? So they started to offer me less money, but um, it's been really successful. And that's, I did it more to give back to and like seeing if I know one kid that's still doing stand up. Like he kind of did it. He got sober. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. He texts me all the time and thanks me. So stuff like that. But yeah, awesome. it's a good, it's a good little uh, passive income kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. So you have a podcast with your beautiful wife, Hillary, Manchild and the Yogi. Tell me a little bit about that. You guys are into yoga, health and fitness, and you talk a lot about your relationship and stuff in this podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, one, we need to start doing it more again, because it's like, you know, we have a space in our house and everything, but like we kind of, after COVID, we really kind of laid off and it, um, so that's one thing, but I uh, really manchild, moi, yogi, her. And basically it's like, depending on what we're, if we're just riffing or lobbing each other stuff, or if we have a guest, it's her saying something that makes sense. And then me being an idiot, it's kind of the, <laughs> that's the dynamic because manchild, like, you know, it's just kind of like. Her trying to tether me and then, you know what I mean? But also trying to make it not serious and all like spiritual all the time. So it's just because uh, her philosophy on yoga, as much as she's so serious about training people with the real philosophy of like the sutras and all the, just all the parts of yoga, she also uh, expresses how much it's about fun and not taking it serious because it's, you know what I mean? Like that's how yeah. I kind of fall in love with it. So yeah, we just have a good hang on it. And, uh, you know, most of the people that listen know her, not me. So I got to work, for, but it's about consistency. But uh, we talk about everything under the sun. We had, uh, then we have serious guests. Sometimes I had a kid on, unfortunately he passed away a little while ago after he got sober and then relapsed. But, um, you know, those kind of episodes get people calling in. So serious on some things. And other times we're just talking about whatever. You know, She's what I mean? pretty funny too. Yo, she's real funny. She said something to me. It's because it's her delivery. A couple of days ago, I was just like yapping, you know, but talking to her. And I walked in, I go, you're not even responding. She goes, you know, I block you out when you're talking. But she said it so like just calm. It was the biggest burn. She's like, you know, sometimes you talk and it just turns into white noise. I mean, she just, you know, she's, I frustrate the shit out of her. That man child in the yoga I can tell. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. She was like, just stop, stop talking. Just, yeah. She's stop. like, yeah. well, she's also worried that I'm going to, not that I would, but like she is more worried about canceling getting canceled but not that she ever would but like she'll do a podcast with other yogis and someone will just say something very honest about them even making like because she's so fundamentally like like old school classic it's about respect of your teachers above you and all these things that a lot of new people don't give a shit about but um she's like always trying to cut something from the podcast like i think that someone won't like that i go someone won't like that that's not why we do this you ask right. me a question I should be able to say anything because you know that I'm not a pig. Like I'm not racist. I'm not misogynist. So whatever I'm saying, I'm joking, but it's like, you know, she, uh, she is very funny. She's very dry. She was, um, she came from the acting world before long, long time ago. She was, on. Oh, wow. um, she was, uh, kind of a triple threat, like singer, dancer, actress. And she was, uh, She's we're, we're older because you're way younger than me. So we're in our no, 40s. I'm not. I'm probably older than you. <laughs> well, we're, we're in our 40s. I won't tell how old she is. But long story short, she um she went straight out of high school into like uh, Equity Shakespeare and then to L.A. And she was wow. on Party of Five and all these older shows that you can remember, like just a little small part. It's my wheelhouse. OK, I'm 46. So I remember all of that. It, it's yeah. funny because if you look her up, she still has an IMDb, but like she 
such a boss move. She walked away from acting when she found yoga um, because she realized when people walk away from something like the entertainment business and it was their choice, not because it beat them, they were booking and everything. I'm like, you're a boss because she yes. goes, I'm in like, she, she read it on her, I think her 20th birthday. She got a book about sutras about just and yoga is all about giving and helping and mm-hmm. acting in the entertainment world is about, you know, getting, getting assaulted, you know, I mean, just whatever. There's just so much negative shit and it's gotten yes. worse. And she goes, and plus she's like, Booking Fritos commercial. She's like, I like the money, but I do Shakespeare. I yeah. sing. Like I was in West Side Story. Like I don't need. To, I don't want to. I can't sink my teeth into the shit. So she walked away, and she was a she was a powerhouse with it. So she doesn't muscle for being funny or doing anything. And also, her father passed, and he wrote Top Gun and a bunch of movies. Jim Cash. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, Jim Cash is her father. He wrote um, Top Gun. He wrote Legal wow. Eagle, Secret of My, a bunch of stuff. But then he he passed away very like young 57 so like 20 years ago so that was another thing where she was like yeah i'm good she's like she was a caa big and she goes i don't need this i don't it's ugly i I don't want to be that kind of person and a lot of actors very few choose to be a good person before being just i'll crawl over my grandmother for a role i'll get divorced and leave my wife that stood stood by me through the lean year you know you know how that is it's and comedy is not far from it either but at least we're a little bit more i feel like comedians are more like musicians you know what i mean that's why musicians and comics hang out and get along because like we're a little more like just a little more down to earth than like i'm an actor what'd you say to me it's about me you know just always having to look it's just too much well i think professional podcasting is kind of like that too because you know podcasting has gotten so big over the last few years and these huge podcasts yeah. and stuff and people yeah. making like a bazillion dollars on their podcasts. So Believe me, I won't say names, but it's like some of the big boys I know that um, didn't have shit three years ago and now they're doing, got this Patreon money going. They are turning into different people. And when I, t- I'll call them or text them, they're like, wow, interesting that you're now like just pontificating, like you had an epiphany and, you know, you know, you're just a scumbag comic. I mean, just in a good way. Like, why are you trying to act like you're, you know, Dr. Phil or something like what is going exactly. on? They start feeling themselves because the money and then they're selling out theaters and arenas and their comedy is getting worse because it's just becoming about it's like inside baseball because they're all there because of the pods, not because, you know, and they get they get uh, really, really successful really quick, meaning maybe they should have been better at stand, you know, whatever. It just kind of doesn't mix They're different things, but they really feel themselves. It's a little much. Yeah. A lot of money involved though. A lot. It's crazy. So Hillary has a really high sex drive, I hear. Oh, my God. I mean, apparently she's not the only one. Um, You know, I just think that it's a cruel cruel thing that if men and women are, say, Adam and Eve and heterosexual married, blah, 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 men and women get married, then why the hell are we literally getting ripped apart with biological, just the shit that's happening? Dude, a couple things. One, she's not embarrassed about it. She has always had, she's always, I think, you know, if I can, can I just speak freely here on here? The girls that find their being when they're like 11 or 12 and they're in the jacuzzi just sitting there like this, you know, those are the people like my wife, they go, oh, I found out I have a superpower and it's my clit, you know, and then, cause and it's not like every woman is like, you know, cause I know women that are you know, like frigid, like not frigid, that's a horrible word saying like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to make myself have an orgasm. I used to run from them women like 
that you had the like smallpox. I was like, wait, you don't know how to make yourself come. I don't, I don't need that much work. If you don't know how to make it happen, how am I ever going to know how to make it happen? Yeah. Cause I'll tell you what, it's like one, I don't want to be the one that actually makes it happen. <laughs> and then like, you're like, you're the first person, you're mine now. We will get married. Pressure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing she has that going on. But then also, you know, it just, the vagina is different. You see it. It's like, for example, not like she doesn't want to give me fellatio or whatever, but with her, she's so worried about what's going to happen after that, that she just doesn't do it like, oh, honey, I love you. You're tired. This is for you. And then I'm going to go make some sandwiches. No, it's like, it's like taking a nap for 10 minutes, relaxing, knowing that in 10, you're going to have to get up and make her happy (laughs) and have sex. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. The vagina is ready and ready and ready and ready and ready. And I think, you know, her high sex drive is partially just her thing. Also, I think the orgasm is just more intense. So she's like, I think, you know, if if they felt that great, I don't know. They just seem different where I'd probably want them more too. Also, I can't help it that as I've gotten older, it's become less important to do it all the time. Right. For guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, given like if we get into it, you know what I mean? I'm happy in two minutes. I'm like, oh, I'm glad we did that. But when I'm thinking about my career working, you know, just doing all this stuff. And then sometimes by the end of the day, I'm like, I'm good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's why sometimes it's just a transaction. Like, it's like, I don't think she needs me there. She just, you know, she likes the release. I get that. But, uh, and also with her, it's about, it's about closeness and like Mm -hmm. it, it really is. And I get that. So I, I try to really be affectionate all the time, but I'll tell you, I mean, my, if I'm listening to my body, I mean, I'm three days a week, maybe. Three days a week. Okay. And she's like seven. Well, like she would just do it all the time. It's like, <laughs> you know, she just thinks it makes everything better. I'm like, it doesn't pay the mortgage. I'll tell you that much. Like <laughs> when I was when I was younger in New York and my biggest worry was, what was I going to put on my cheeseburger where I was going that night? I mean, great. It's like, I was always trying to have sex, going out yeah. every night or doing whatever or getting little girlfriends or dating, doing that whole thing. And then you get older and you're just like, oh, like I... There's a lot of work involved because it's not like actually my wife actually is not opposed to like quickies or whatever that usually yeah. don't because because she's that she's so in touch that she'll still get hers. <laughs> but as but as I'm going, like, just hang on until you get until she's happy. And like, because, you know, once I'm happy, because that's another thing with being sober, I had to learn how to have sex again. What? Why? Not like really like, how do you do it? It's like <laughs> I I did so much of that my, my life was when I was using. Mm-hmm. So it's like when, like, of course, when you've had a few drinks and you're out and you're dating people, not as seriously or whatever, it's like you have the motivation because men, and this is the thing that really is the argument. And my wife doesn't like this one because it makes it sound like I know that's everybody else, but not my man. But the thing is, is just being with one person, being around each other and working in the stress of other things, things prioritize organically where it's like, I'm not trying to put it lower than, you know, thinking about something I need to do or whatever, but it's just, it happens because I mean, I just told, I go, I can't be both. I can't be, you know, Frank, the tank from old school, you know, like Will Ferrell turn, you don't want that guy, you know, you don't want that guy. And, you know, but I, maybe I can meet her in the middle and be a little bit more like, I mean, because I'm happy and I don't want anyone else. And it's not about that. It's just, it's just, it's not biting me all the time. Like I have to make, like, it's got to be a conscious effort. Like, you know what? 
set a calendar. It's like, you're going to have sex every day this week. And of course, when it starts, then I'm like, oh, I'm glad we did that. You know what I mean? But getting me there, because it's like, it's almost like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym at the end of the night. But then after I do everything else, and then it's about eight o'clock, like, ah, I'm good. You know what I mean? We'll sit there once in a while. I'll initiate just because I think it's, you know, it pops up in my Google calendar. I got to, you know, she'll make her happy. And she'll go, you know what? I'm too tired. I'm like, oh my God. Awesome. <laughs> but then, you know, but then, but that's another thing. If she talked less about me wanting it less, guarantee, because I'm a dumb boy, guarantee. If she started like, oh, no, I'm not in the mood. If she did that twice, I would be trying to have sex with her every day. You'd be chasing because men want to chase. And 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 it's a sensitive. Don't you think it's a sensitive subject though? Because people automatically go, "Oh, so what are you just a promiscuous? You want to be single?" I go, "No, I'm just telling you that whoever created us has made part of it in the male more like, ooh, like oh, she's being mean to me. I got to make her like because we're insecure in different ways. Whatever it is, women, I think, are more intelligent in a lot of ways. Meaning the nesting, the cradle and conception. I call it like you know they babies in the world it's like those kind of things make you a little more rational and a little more just like focused on what it is and be able to enjoy certain things more and men are just kind of like we there's things about us like you know if we don't try to evolve we're just kind of stay kind of immature in a lot of ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i'm not much older than my stepsons when if i'm really having a good time you know what i mean it's like i'm kind of in a child you know how old are your stepsons 18 and 20. 18 and 20. So you guys got married when they were how old? So she moved, she moved to Los Angeles. And when I moved to New York, so we split off. Like here, here's her thing. Got out of high school, Berkshire's and New Hampshire, the best reputable uh, Shakespeare. Boom. Went to San Francisco, ACT, graduated, done a bunch of plays, then joined a huge theater company. But also in her fashion, serial monogamous was married at 21. To like, but not like a shotgun, anything like that. Like she's just, I mean, she's like that. I mean, I did that too. Serial monogamous. And so she, and she was already making money. And so it wasn't like, oh, we got to get married and we have nowhere to live. It was like, they did it right. And then a couple of years later, they wanted to have two kids and they're doing it all planned. And then, um, you know, I hadn't talked to her for 15 years, really, since high school. We kind of, cause we were really close as friends in high school too and all that stuff. But she, um, yeah, she was married to this guy and then he just you know, he changed or she says he changed. I, I met him a few times ago. There's no way that he wasn't, that he was cool before turning into whatever this <laughs> shit is, but you know, he got very intimidated by her cause she's very successful. And like, you know, she's a heavy hitter and he's like one of those, Oh, nobody wants me or like, you know, that real, that real bad stuff. But uh, anyways, yeah. long story short, like, uh, so 2012, we started dating uh, 2013 maybe. And I was still in New York. That's around. And then I went to LA for a few months and she had already been moved. Sorry. She moved back to Michigan before we even reconnected. She decided to move out of LA to have babies and have a yoga studio. Mm-hmm. And it was her husband's idea at the time. So they moved back. So she was already in Michigan. I didn't know where she was. And then all this happened like 2013 about, I looked her up and I found out like she was, her business was on Facebook, Hilltop Yoga. And I really was just reaching out as a friend because I hadn't seen her in so long. And she, we met up and it was just weird. Like we sat down, she still talks about it, but uh, she was like, um, she was, she was like, I'm getting a divorce. And I go, uh, 
Because I wasn't one of those Facebook trolls where it's like, oh, it looks like somebody's single. Didn't know anything about it. She wasn't active on that. It was just all studio stuff, yoga stuff. But it came out and she still says to this day that she knew then. Like, because they were already on the rocks, hardcore, like not sleeping in the same rooms. And then then it was just weird. Like, I came in and we got along so well. Like, you know, she, they just, it sped up all that stuff. And then we moved to Chicago in 2016 together because I could not do Michigan, obviously. With your career, you mean? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's just no, there's no uh, stage time. There's no industry. And also, I didn't have the childhood she had, so I'm not trying to go back to where I ran from when I was 18. You know what I mean? To see you run into people you went to high school with that, like, are working at the gas station or something. I don't you know. I can't do it. It's it's not ideal to move back to where you you grew up. Sometimes, depending on how it went. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So I think I answered your question. Sorry, my ADD is all over the place. ADD? You have ADD. ADHD. Got it all. Yeah. But you can't take meds for it. Well, I've, I've taken Adderall. I tried to take it. And I'll tell you the fucking truth about it is it's not going to help you. If you have, like I have uh, attention, hyperactive dyslexia, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's like, it's a, that's a really specific one where it's like, not only can I not focus sometimes, it's more like I operate better in the chaos. Like, like in the, in the moment of shit's on fire like I'm the best person to come to because I'm going to be like calm and do it all. Like, but if you give me something sitting down, like Aaron, I'll be back in eight hours. Just go through these reports or something. I'll be in here standing on my head. You know what I mean? So, so the Adderall just wouldn't really help me except for it makes you feel like shit physically. You know what I mean? It's like you take it. Even if you take the prescribed amount that ends up having to go up because you know, your body gets used to it, just like alcohol or anything else. And then you kind of have brain fog. I mean, people that say that, It'll help you when you need to cram or get some stuff done. But if you're taking it every day and you're not really working on the fundamentals of why dyslexia is challenging or like hyperactive, like where you need to meditate and calm down, that pill's just going to make you dehydrated more than anything and a little cram. And it, when I took it a bit, it kind of made me feel bipolar when I was coming down. Like it's just like the mood swings. I was like, dude, fuck this. You know what I mean? I'd rather not pay attention because I've learned. I've been on the earth long enough with this shit that I've learned how to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do I wish that I could focus more and not forget things like I'm going back in to get my keys and walk in, but as I'm walking in, look at something else, go <laughs> walk out downstairs and go, Oh, I didn't get my keys. That I'd like to get rid of that. But that's about being present and slowing down. I do that too. So therapy, yoga, exercise. Do you think those are like the key things? Those are all the things that I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> I went to yoga last week. I went for, she was real mad at me like a month ago and I went every day, not because she asked me to, but I was, I admitted, I was like, I'm really trying to like, yeah, I need back in. You got to get me in. I need, I need back in the house, you know, whatever. We had a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. But all that stuff, like mind, body, spirit, like exercise is one of the best ways to alleviate all that stuff. Like just to manage it, you know, your ADD, like if you're, if you're getting to the gym and getting like, tired out a little bit, you'll be able to mentally focus more instead of, yeah. Cause everything goes from here to here and back and forth. Like people that take Xanax, Oh, it gets rid of my panic attack, but all that trauma or whatever just goes into your body. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out in different ways all the time. And that's why what people don't realize, 
your brain is making your body feel that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just don't think any of it works. And if, if I could take Adderall and legit, it'd be like, I'm a different person. Like I, I can, man, I'm so organized. I think I want to be a type A person. Like I'm, I'm going to start telling people I'm type A. No, it's not going to happen. And I, and I risk the fact of, you know, all of a sudden deciding to chomp, chop a bunch of it up and snort it. And then, you know, I mean, just because <laughs> it, feel, it feels, if you take too much of it, it feels enough like a really bad bag of Coke, you know, but it but it gets you kind of jacked, but then it makes you kind of, didn't make me want to uh, drink really, but it's like, gives you just kind of that energy, you know what I mean? And then you can't sleep at night. I mean, the people that I know that are on it, quite a high dosage as well. And I'm like, how do you go to bed at night? It's like taking ambience. So it's like you're taking something yeah. to wake up and something to go to bed, which isn't much different than people that do speed balls in the morning and then heroin to go to sleep. I mean, it's kind of the same shit. Yeah. And not addressing any of the actual problems. Like, I don't want to like actually address maybe what's bothering me because mm-hmm. people that are well adjusted in a lot of ways, we're all fucked up. But like people know, like I was saying, normal people know that if you drink four cocktails every day of the week, seven days a week, that you are not managing your life correctly. But someone that's an addict is just going to be like, oh, I'm doing this because I don't want to think about myself. So about self-care and love and all that. And we can beat some of the big pharma because I'm not a big fan of the big pharma at all. Me neither. Let's talk about self-care and self-love and body acceptance and things like that as a man. Uh You've talked a little bit about your man boobs and your dad bod. You know, it's funny. It's like that joke's a lot longer. I'll, I'll tell you the philosophy of where all that comes from. And this isn't for everybody, but like, this is another thing with being an addict. Part of the problem is it started so, so long ago in your adolescent life where you don't think you're as good as other people, the insecurities, which hence the comic comedian thing too, where you just think that your problems are so much more special than someone else's. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's just like, I never, to this day, I'm still so, I'm older where like, I don't ever feel fat, like really, like I exaggerate. I never feel like, oh my God, I'm huge like this. But I feel like in my whole life, when I was younger, like one, that voice, my voice, I've had a raspy voice since I was like kindergarten, five years old. Really? So that made me feel awkward. Like I was, yeah, like I sounded like a little raspy. Hey, what's up? And, you know, deeper conversation. But that is also about not feeling safe as a kid. That's like a chakra that's blocked there from me, like not being being able to safe and be a dumb kid. Cause you know, when you grow up kind of like your mom's sleeping till noon and you got school at eight, eight, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, all that stuff just, uh, j- just happens and makes like, um, so I didn't feel like when I was younger, I feel like I, cause I did puberty was really late. So I felt like I was different than everyone till that. And then I feel like I've never had a great window of just where I'm like, dude, you look sick because one, I never really lifted or did any of that stuff. So my whole point, it's like, I'm so uncomfortable being a little fat now because there's no muscle under the top, like I have skateboard calves and everything. But over here, it's like, I went from skinny <laughs> to like, like, I call it like skinny fat or whatever, which nobody really bleeds for you too well. They're like, oh, we don't feel sorry for you. you go fuck <laughs> yourself. But it's like the boobs look different and they've made me just, yeah, body, I, I body shame myself. I, I'm dead serious about it though. It's like, if I catch myself in a mirror on the side view sometimes, and I'm just not realizing that my gut's totally out of something, I'm like, oh boy, this is an interesting look. And then I go to my wife, I'm like, why do you love, why are you with, because she's like washboard, like in super good shape. But um, yeah, it's just, I talk about it on stage because it, I just want everyone to know how uncomfortable it makes me. <laughs> 
It makes guys uncomfortable, I think, but women, I think, aren't judgmental about the dad bods, I, I don't think. And when you meet the ones that are, it's funny because until I started loving myself a little bit more, my wife got the best of me is like, I used to date women that were the women that would be like, yeah, what are you doing with that? Like really critical, like, because they're looking for, you know, this man eater kind of like woman that's like looking to take, I want that guy's salary, that guy's dong and this guy's humor, sense of humor. Like they try to like make a person or whatever, instead of loving you for who you are. And so there are very few women I've met that are like that. Cause usually it's, they're not as shallow. Another thing, not as shallow. We're like looking at, this is a crazy thing. My wife doesn't care. I, I put, we were messing around. It was like, got kind of oily. Like the thing is, she's like, why'd you put so much on me all over my body? I'm like, I just like the visual men were so visual about that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I, I wish someone would tell me why I don't want to be that way either. You know, but I'm not critical of her in that way. She's too critical of it. But like, I know that it doesn't bother her. She's more worried legit when I was bigger than I am now. She was like, I don't want you to die. Like her dad died really young from not taking care of himself. So that's really where it comes from. And it would be different if I was letting myself go and also not showing up for her intimately, then she'd be, she'd have a problem. (laughs) Too out of breath. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, it's like, I might be this, this, and that, but I'm heard this, this, and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, But, um, and the thing is people don't believe me like, Oh, I'm so overweight, but like, I'm obese as far as the BMI. So, you know, what are you going to do? You know, I don't, I don't think you looked obese, but I'll take your word for it. I think you look great, but thank you. yeah. Tell me a little bit about being a stepdad and a blended family. How was that coming into it? Was it stressful? Was it scary? Yeah, well, it's stressful. Cause I don't think I touched on it on stage, but the thing that's stressful really is because, you know, if I was going to have, I never wanted kids because of the way I was raised. I was like, let's just put a halt on this lineage right now because the sad thing is you become your parents usually, unless you really have a hard time and you're like, you know what? I don't want that in my life. And hopefully if you have great parents, you become how they were because your father and mother taught you all these wonderful things. So I didn't want to have any kids and then being a hot mess with all the drinking and stuff and then falling in love with my wife and then meeting those boys. I was like, I can probably do this. And it was challenging though. At first one, it's like, I know what it was like to, um, come have someone come into a family my mother would have a new guy call this is your dad it's like oh okay oh gross you know i mean like not a whole lot she wasn't too crazy but yeah i remember how crazy it made me feel like i was jealous that someone was with my mother because we're just trying to figure out because we haven't had sex our, our brains you know we're like why is this happening why is my mom doing that so i didn't want them i was really nervous about making them feel like i was interloping on their family so i just it's been great because i i made a really like bold choice right away to make sure they were, they knew that I respected their father, even though they didn't at the time or whatever. Like I played that angle. Like, you know, think of me as an extra person. So I'm not coming in like, I mean, a nightmare. I tell anybody single that's got kids, some woman, if some guy comes into your life, there's like, I'll, I'll fix your family. And all of a sudden they're like, I'm your daddy. Now it's like, fuck those guys. Those are pigs. Those people, they're, they're brutal. Like, I mean, I want them to know that I'm not the reason I'm not, you know, just, I'm here to help. Yeah. Bonus dad, just a bonus. Yeah. And I fell in love with them because I mean, I got so lucky because you know how many kids are absolute cunts to a stepdad or a stepmother? Yes. <laughs> they're just because their mother raised them right. And they're just gentle kids. They were kind of like, 
mom's happy. You're a cool guy. You wear the same shoes as me. Whatever. We can fuck with this guy. He skateboards. You know, there was a little bit of that too. Dad was a little one thing. So it would be even hard for them to take me seriously as like just if I walked in and like, you know, dress sh- dress shoes and jeans and a bad Oxford. It's like they'd be like, oh, we got that. That's an old man dad guy. I came in a little bit more like, oh, this this guy seems kind of interesting. Yeah. And then they were so nice to me. And, you know, it really, I got lucky. So I, I am happy. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Totally best case scenario. Well, where can people find you if they want to come check you out, check out your stand-up comedy? What are you, what are you coming up? So I have a bunch of stuff coming. I'm just trying to think who, which areas, but uh, my, my website is comedian, Aaron It's got all my dates and my manager's on there for avails or whatever, like to figure out if people want to see me in different places or then my Instagram comic underscore Aaron Putnam. All right. I'm going to link to everything in the show notes so people can find you. Absolutely. I really loved your, your, what do you call it? Your comedy routine, your show. Uh, you got to say like the other people, uh, just really don't know. They're like, I loved your skit. It was very your nice. Skit. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. My skits were great. Um, next week we're going to be square dance, you know, but, but that's all like, that's another thing. That was all out of love though. A, a nice person after a show that says that, I'll take it all day. Is it a set? A set. Yeah. A great set. Nice set. Shitty set. Good set. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> or like, yeah, anything works. But it was so great that you guys hung after for a minute because, I mean, I'm so glad this happened. And I'm going to have you on our podcast. Oh, I would love that. And you and Hillary can rip. Absolutely. I was kind of afraid that you were going to think we were approaching you as swingers or something like that. I was like, here I am waiting after the show. Yeah, because you know you know what it is is because this is how I always gauge it because I hate that kind of shit because I'm because believe me there's tons of suburbs towns out there when after a show these couples they they're into swinging like something about upper middle class but kind of kicky people they got a lot of money and but they drive big trucks and stuff those kind of people love to share their wife with their friends oh and do God. drugs in their big McMansions I call them the big cookie cutter houses they're great audience oh. members but yeah. People have walked up to me, kind of give me that rhythm. Your boyfriend, or that was your friend? Or no, we, friend. he's not my boyfriend. He's my friend. Okay. Oh, oh, or whatever it was, but just not knowing that as well. Like, yeah. I always include everyone in the conversation. That's what you were doing. And that's normal because that's why I didn't run away, too. You know what I mean? Because sometimes they're like, that's me, you got to go, whatever. But that's the energy was completely like not from that angle. Good. Legit wanted you on my podcast. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, tell your wife, Hillary, hi, and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your stories. And when I'm back in Dubuque, um, yeah, definitely have you guys out for the show. I'll give you some comps, but uh, yeah, let's, um, I'm going to, I'll text you or DM you about getting you on our podcast. Absolutely. Anytime. That'd be great. I would love that. Uh, This was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me. Manthropology is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Brink. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more listeners like you. You can stay updated on all things Manthropology by following us on Instagram at ManthropologyPod. Questions? Email us at info at ManthropologyPod.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week on Manthropology.